Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. White and black, operating South Shaw in Boston. We got guys actively searching for us. Come on, man, we need to get moving. We're not supposed to be here anymore. Just go, just take your guns and go, man. Just go, kill me, please. Come on, man. There are crooks, and there are corporate crooks. One of them gets fed time, or a bullet to the head. The other one gets a tennis court prison if he gets anything at all. It's a big night for you. I'm hoping you're a smart man. Man who knows he's got one life. One chance on all this, and he better make the most of it. Yeah, a man who knows, loyalty's for the weak. Well, tonight, it's time to put the lies to bed. Tonight, you will decide what kind of man you're gonna be. Hello, and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich. And this is episode number 499. Out now on digital and video on demand is How to Rob, a Boston set crime drama in which two lifelong friends and career criminals find themselves on the run when one of their heists angers the wrong people. A film about brotherhood and loyalty toyed with gritty realism in the mean streets of Boston. How to Rob also marks the latest feature film by director Peter Horgan, who I'm glad to say joins me now on the podcast. Peter, how are you today? I'm good, Matt. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. You know, this is a really interesting film in that, yeah, it's a crime series, it's a crime movie. It's set in Boston, but I think the themes, you know, are really universal. And I mm. think the thing that really kind of spoke to me is about the friendships that we have in our lives, sometimes from the time like we're kids, right? There's some friends that you grow up with and such. But yeah. there's that thing that I call the drift. People kind of drift apart. Sometimes sure. that's intentional. Um, sometimes the friends that you had don't really grow in the same maturity that you do. <laughs> and you're kind of like left to to make choices in your life about who you hang out with. I'm just curious, was that something that really spoke to you in regards to making this movie? Is that something that really kind of that idea of things drifting apart um, really kind of, was that the genesis of the idea of how to rob as we see it today? Yeah, absolutely. That had a lot to do with it. I think um, that was something that was really difficult for me growing up. And like you said, growing apart from certain people that you um, were so close with growing up. And it was uh, it was a difficult thing to, for me to process. And at times, I really resisted it, even mm -hmm. though maybe deep down, I knew it was time to move on in certain relationships. Um, we were just going in two completely different directions. And sometimes I would stay around a lot longer than, you know, than I probably should. And, and um, in certain circumstances where I had some of my friends that I grew up with were getting into, you know, things that were, uh, you know, dangerous in certain ways that I 
really didn't want any part of. And but you know, I found things like loyalty and 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 just the the amount of years you have going into these relationships, just keeping me present and keeping me around for things that I didn't really want to be around for. And um, I think that you know, this is kind of like a, a story about what if you couldn't break away? What mm. if you couldn't? What if you couldn't leave? What if you you felt so tied to a person that no matter how bad things got you, you just couldn't bring yourself to to walk away? And um, I don't know. I think recently, in, in recent years, I, I forget if I read this or heard this. Sorry, I don't know. It's going off, but something about you know you can you can still love people for for relationships that you used to have, and you don't need to necessarily hold on to that relationship sometimes it just naturally fades but you can still love a person for what they were to you at a certain point in your life and that that was you know a lot of uh, very comforting for me um but it, it's definitely something i've thought about a lot and i've dwelled on a lot and it, and it was kind of the jumping off point for this film but there's a great monologue in the movie about the positive and negative forces that can have in people's lives and i mean like you said you can love someone but they can be a really destructive force to you as well. Um, and I think what's happening with Sean and Jimmy in this movie is that um, that destructive force that is essentially Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy is a, <laughs> he's a, one of those kind of characters that's um, like a wild card very much, right? You don't know where he's going to go. And, and Sean's very much, he's got a girl, he's got a business, he's got a, he, he wants to center himself down. And, and I just—I was curious. Have you ever thought about what would have happened with Sean if he never met Jimmy? I mean, is there ever a, a multiverse where if Sean never met Jimmy, what his life would be? Would he even be in the uh, the place to where he where he's at in that life where Jimmy wasn't there? Because there's one thing about loyalties when it comes to friendship, but Jimmy essentially almost kind of saved his life in in a certain in a certain way when they were younger. Yeah, it, it's that's an interesting question because I haven't. I haven't explored that. What I did explore was, uh, you know, when we were in like the the very early days of COVID um, and we were all in lockdown, uh, I ended up actually writing the screenplay into a novel um, that I never did anything with. I'm like very insecure about my prose and I just I didn't do anything with it, but it was a really good uh, exercise for me since I was planning on making this film um, to dive deeper into the backgrounds of these two characters and you know they both came from broken homes and but i think sean's home even though uh it was broken in ways i think it was a little bit more healthy uh mm. relationships going on so i do think in ways that jimmy was a, a bit of a detriment even though you know he he came through for him in this big moment early on in their childhood and he you know he gave sean a friend in a, in a time when he didn't have any friends um and I'm sorry because I'm trying to mute. I have no idea how to mute these messages that keep popping up on here. There's nothing uh, on my end, so it's all good. Okay, I'm, um, but uh, but I'm, I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. But um, yeah, I never, I never explored the idea of them of them not being together. Um, I think what was interesting for me was uh, not something I realized early on in the process because. You can have an antagonist to a film and you can have a villain to a film and they don't necessarily need to be the same character. Sometimes your antagonist and your villain are two entirely different characters. And, you know, instinctively you think, 
Oh, well, like the hitmen, like Anthony and Benny D are the antagonists of the film because they're the ones who are coming after Sean and Jimmy. But, you know, the more and more I looked at the script, I realized, oh, Jimmy is actually Sean's real antagonist here. Um, Sean just wants to better his life. From the moment we meet him as an adult, he just wants out. He just wants legitimacy to his life. And Jimmy is that main factor just pushing him the other way the entire time um so yeah i i that was that was an interesting discovery for me to think that like the antagonist is actually his best friend yeah. and he's the person who is uh is holding him back i never viewed the um the hitman as antagonist myself so i just i saw them as the consequence um yeah and you know, you know um, that that saying that's going around: um, um, play stu- stupid games, win stupid prizes, right? I mean, that's very much the Jimmy motto, I think, of his life. Um, <laughs> yes. Because yeah, and that's how I saw them. Um, I want to talk about the actors who play Jimmy and Sean. Um, so you have Joshua Kuzman, uh, Joshua Koopman, and mm-hmm. Chinesa Uche. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Koopman, you've worked with before. I mean, from what I've everything I've read of you and the interviews I've heard of you, you guys are like really good friends. Um, do you write roles with him in mind when you when you put in a movie together? Almost always. And for this one, definitely. I've written so this was my first feature, actually. And I wrote, I think, a dozen feature screenplays prior to writing How to Rob. And when I got out of college, I was given this really sound advice, which is that if you want to break through in this industry, find a genre that you love and become the best at it. And that's how you're going to get your foot in the door is by mastering a genre first, and then you can expand from there. And for me, it's always been the crime genre. I've always just been in love with crime films, whether, you know, in every single subgenre of crime, I've just been fascinated with it since I was a kid. Um, So in all of those dozen screenplays, there's always a a role for Josh Koopman in there um, with the hopes that one day I get to make these films with much bigger budgets than what how to rob had so then when i wrote how to rob i had taken the lessons i learned from writing those first 12 screenplays and i kind of reverse engineered the screenplay around people places and props i knew i could get for free or for cheap Mm. Um, like actors i had worked with before established relationships with who i knew would either be willing to take less than their normal fees or maybe even waive their fees uh, on the film. And and so I wrote these parts of Sean and Jimmy for Josh and Chanaza. Um, Chanaza, I didn't know as well as Josh going into it, but Josh and I uh, back in 2015 had attempted to get another feature film made. And at that time um, it was another, I like this dynamic of having like, the wild card best friend and kind of like the more straight man protagonist. Um, and it was a very similar dynamic to that. And in that film, I was having Josh play the straight man. And we were thinking about who's going to play your best friend in this. And Josh had said, I, you know, one of my best friends in New York is this guy, Chinaza Uche. We did theater together and he's incredible. You should meet him. He would be really great for this other, this other role. So we did. And this was back in, like I said, 2015, I think. Um, and I met Chinaza, him and Josh and I went to um, the Austin Film Festival together just to hang out, see some movies and and meet each other. And um, I got I got along really well with Chinaza. But on top of that, I saw their chemistry that they had. Mm. And 
I knew right then I'm like, yeah, I have to have these guys play friends in movies because they're just so much fun to be around in real life. The two of them just play off of each other and then there's such a good time. And I knew that that would be that's it was something tangible that we could see on on screen. So when I was writing How to Rob and, you know, I had this idea of writing this story about these two friends who had had this deep, deep relationship. I knew I wanted it to be them. Um, so. So, yeah, uh, you know, now I'm finding myself writing things for Chinaza as well, just because I loved working with him so much and he did such a great job. But I've always been, you know, Josh and I go so far back that if you look at any of those screenplays I've written, he might not be the lead in every single one of them, but there's usually a, a place in there for him somewhere. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by T Public. T Public is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, T Public is sure to have something you will love. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Amazon. The world's leading online store, Amazon is your first stop to buy a wide range of products at competitive prices with fast delivery times. Amazon is also a world-class entertainment hub that includes Prime Video, Audible, Twitch, Amazon Music, and more. Sign up with Amazon today and experience the best in online shopping and entertainment. Please support Matt's movie reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. I um I heard in the interview that you said that prior to filming, um, when both Chinaza and in um and Koopman had the um the script, they would actually call you up and say, you know, I'm not sure if my character would say this or say that, et cetera. Yeah. Um it, it does take a certain level of trust, doesn't it, for number one, them to be able to call you and, and hear that, but also for you to hear them out uh, in that as well. Do you think with future projects that's definitely going to be something that's going to be there as well? That kind of rapport between the three of you. Um, where they will be uh, more comfortable to come up to you and say, look, I I, uh, I see what you got here, but I think maybe we can add this or twist that or, or, add, or do a little something different? Absolutely. I think it's not even just about the three of us. For me as a director, um, I feel like you can't have an ego in filmmaking. I feel that for me anyways, the, the best way to go about it is the best idea wins and that's it. And it doesn't matter who it comes from. And when you're on, when you're working on set with people, that idea could come from literally any department on the set. Someone just throws an idea out there. And if it's better than mine, then why would I ignore it? You know, mm-hmm. like I'll throw out whatever I originally had in a, in a heartbeat to take a better idea from someone else. It's only going to make me look better. You know, if I'm, if I'm the director here. So um, with Josh and Chinaza, uh, the benefit is, is they're both they both have writer brains on top of being actors. I know Chanaza does some writing. I know Josh has done some writing before. So they both they're both storytellers. And um, not every actor has that. Um, I'll hear anybody out. If anyone has suggestions for me that I'm working with actor or any other department on set, I'll always listen to them. And I just kind of go with my gut. And when they came to me and they brought up these points, more often than not, it made sense to me. And and it was easy for me to make the changes because I I saw exactly what they meant and they were right. Um, and then sometimes on set, people will throw out ideas uh, the same way and say, well, this line, 
is um, it's kind of clunky or I'm, I'm kind of tripping over these words right here. What if I say it like this? And as long as the message is still coming across the same and it's not changing the dynamic within the scene, then I'm 99% of the time going to say yes to it. There's really no reason. I'm not, I'm not very precious about the words as long as the same message is, is coming across. I mean, for instance, with like the, the two hitmen characters, um, Anthony and Benny D they're played by Anthony Farrakhano and uh, Damian DePaula. And they're both, guys from the north end in boston and that's a you know it's changed now all of boston's changed now but that traditionally was an italian american neighborhood um and still has a little bit of that left to it but it's you know also been gentrified and taken over by like college students mm -hmm. and um but anyways i gave them their lines anthony and damien and they were just like nah we wouldn't say this <laughs> like like i like uh one point i said um have you seen their apartment? They have, they probably have jack shit. And they're like, would we say jack shit? No, no, we'd say Stugats. It would be mm. Stugats. It wouldn't be jack shit. So, okay, say Stugats then. Like that, you know, like I said, I'm not precious about that stuff. I want it to feel real. And if that's going to make it feel more real for them, chances are it's going to be more real for the audience as well. Um, you filmed this in Quincy, Boston. Is that correct? We filmed it all over Massachusetts. I mean, the, the story mainly takes place in Quincy because that's where I've been living for, uh, you know, about five years at that time. And also kind of uh, a little bit of an ode to the Friends of Eddie Coyle, which is a predominantly, you know, Quincy film, uh, even though a lot of it takes place in Boston. A lot of those scenes are in Quincy. And um but we we shot a little bit in Quincy, but we shot in downtown Boston. We shot in Medford, which is like a like a neighborhood on the north side of Boston. We shot on the Cape quite a bit as well, which is where I'm from originally. And um, it's just uh, the time of year we shot. We shot in May, and the Cape at that point isn't flooded with tourists yet, so mm. it's actually a little bit easier to move around down there in terms of traffic and just people uh the amount of people there so we shot a lot of scenes a lot of interiors down on the cape just to help us make our days because it was easier for us to to pick up and move from one location to the next without dealing with like the rush hour traffic you get when you're closer to the city um yeah. something you mentioned before is that you use the places um that the establishments places you've been to before it's kind of like your kind of like set pieces in before your film um which is i've spoken i spoke to a lot of indie filmmakers and that's like a real smart resourceful way to go back in and stuff done with that in mind do you keep a diary do you keep images do you when you go through your travels or you're just walking around boston stuff do you like keep a mental image or physical stuff about it like hey one day i like maybe to do stuff in there one day i'd like to maybe to do stuff in there and do you have that stuff kind of like in an arsenal of like like set um uh, places that you can set scenes in and, and stories in yeah i mean i do um i uh i keep these little moleskin notebooks on me at all times just because i got tired of coming up with ideas and forgetting them uh down the line so i, I write everything in there but i do kind of keep just like a mental rolodex of all these places i think that comes from um I used to do music. I used to direct music videos when I first got out of college for right. like Boston rappers mainly. And 
that was kind of my pitch when I would go to them. A lot of these rappers didn't have money um, or had very, very small amounts of money to give me. So what I would always say to them is like, well, what do you have that's, that's cool that would up our production value? Is it do you have a bunch of friends we can get to be in the background? Is there a cool location you know about that we've never been that hasn't been in another Boston music video? You got mm -hmm. nice cars. Like, what do you have that we can show on here that makes it look like we spent money on this? So with How to Rob, you know, it was actually there was an Australian coffee shop right near where I work in downtown Boston. And uh the owners, the owners from Australia and wicked nice guy. And I would go in there for coffees every day. And um, I just, you know, I just uh, had an idea that I wanted to do this scene in his coffee shop. And I knew that they were closed on the weekends because that particular area of Boston is like a financial district area. It's really just busy Monday through Friday. So they weren't even open on the weekends. So I asked him, you know, hey, would you mind us coming in here and shooting this movie? And he was all about it and very very accommodating same thing with the bar scenes the bar is a bar uh probably five minutes from where i grew up and um i just went and i spoke to the manager one day and i said you know i i grew up coming and drinking at this bar all the time and i'm not here a lot anymore because i live a little further away now but uh we'd love to come shoot in here and in massachusetts filmmaking is still kind of a novelty you know people are excited about it. People get really interested when they hear that you're making movies. People want to help you here. You know, I think that's something that you lose when you go to a place like Los Angeles, where like that's the business and everybody knows that business. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like everyone wants to be compensated for it, which obviously, like in an ideal world, I would be paying everybody for everything. But when you're making an indie film on a dime, you have to cut corners anywhere you possibly can. And locations is usually one of the places that you do that. I don't think we really paid for a single location in the film. Everything was either favors. And if it wasn't through me directly finding um, something, I was talking to my family, cousins, aunts, uncles, parents. Josh Koopman also is just like a, you know, a business owner in Massachusetts and he has all this other connections going on. So between him and me, we were able to just, talk to people and if it wasn't our direct contacts it was like a friend of a friend like the bog scene for instance um at the end of the film with jimmy and judge that bog that was my cousin's friend mm -hmm. you, know, you know like i didn't know how i was gonna get a bog but i knew there was enough of them that i must know someone who knew a person so i started asking around and my cousin's like oh yeah i know somebody who's got a cranberry bog we'll mm -hmm. go shoot there and it worked out um, and I just want to make a note before we continue on that I did say Quincy and not Quincy. Uh, so I hope that gives me some brownie <laughs> points with the people in Boston there. Um, uh, that's um, very, that's, uh, that's big. I, I got corrected myself when I moved there because I, uh -huh. I was saying saying Quincy. And uh, my buddy who's from there, he's like, nah, that's that's not right. It's it's Quincy. And, Quincy. Uh, and we, um, I was nervous about the accents in this film because... I, I, I like reading film critique. Uh, any you know, anytime I watch a film, I usually go and look up a couple of reviews. And whenever you see Boston films, everybody loves to critique actors' Boston accents. Yeah, like even when you have like people who are from here, people are still critiquing their accents somehow. The reality is the Boston accent changes from neighborhood to neighborhood. You know, guys from the North End 
don't speak the same as guys from Dorchester or guys from Southie, you know, like different boroughs have kind of different um, variations of that accent. So rather than, you know, we didn't have money for rehearsal time and to pay people to like dedicate months and months to this project. So I just said, you know, if it's a natural accent, keep it. If you don't have the natural accent, just speak how you normally speak. The one, uh, the one rule was Quin- Quincy had to be properly said. Quincy. It's interesting. I was going to ask about the accent. In, I mean, what you I've heard you say in um, in making the film is that you didn't want anyone actually faking a Boston accent either. You wanted to yep. make sure that if they can't do it, don't do it. Um, which yep. is something that I could understand because you know someone has heard a lot of bad Australian accents in Australian films. I can really understand sure. that as well. Sure. I'm curious though that when it comes to the Boston crime movie, um, and cinema has a really long tradition of you know movies set in Boston, and we can go through all of them. It seems yep. to me though that recently the very very prolific era was between um, 2005 when Mystic River came out and 2010 when A Town came out. I think in those five years, like it seemed like almost every Dennis Lehane book was adapted and yep. there were so many Boston films. When you're making a film in Boston um, and you're making it as realistic as you can using real locations, et cetera, what are some mm-hmm. of the things that you don't want to do in your Boston film that other Boston films do? Because sometimes I think when it comes to making a Boston film or a New York film or a you know a film setting here in Australia in a Northern Territory, there are certain things that people always do that let you know, hey, you're watching a Boston film. Is there anything that you didn't want to do to put those kind of markers out there? Um I don't know if there was anything I was actively trying to avoid because I'm, you know, super inspired by most of those films. You know, Dennis Lehane is is like my favorite author. I've read everything he's ever written. And I just and I've loved a lot of the adaptations that have come from his novels. Gone Baby Gone is one of my favorite Boston films. I think. Yeah, that. and I think Gone Baby Gone to me is a very much a a film that I think with how to rob is is in the same kind of wavelength of films right there. I really do feel believe that because there's a there's an authenticity to to it as well, and I think a lot of that has to do with the people making it as much as anything else. Well, thank you. I mean, that's a huge compliment. And and I love Mystic River, too. I think Mystic River is a fantastic adaptation. That's a really great book. And so often you lose a lot from book to, to screen. And I think uh, Clint Eastwood really did an excellent um, translation of that. So for me, though, in terms of things I tried to avoid, it wasn't really so much that I was trying to avoid things so much as I was really just trying to make it true to what I know. Right. And And, you know, like... I was thinking about it the other day. I think that there's certain tropes that we kind of subvert in this film, not even intentionally trying to subvert them so much as like, this is how this is a more accurate depiction. And like, I think like the friends of Eddie Coyle is arguably the most uh, realistic Boston crime film, you know, um, at least for the time that it was made. If you talk to people from that era, they say that's how it was. That like those were the guys, like blue collar criminals. And uh, you know, my own experiences just from like growing up in Massachusetts and working in the security field at different times in my life, and like coming into contact with these types of guys, I, I just wanted it to be true to that. And I, I don't know 
um if you want to get into like spoilers or anything but there's like one scene in particular that would be a, a significant spoiler here but um, um it's really i try not to do spoilers it's really up to you as the filmmaker day if you want to uh, I, I won't i won't get into it um too much but it was just like i think that um everyone is expecting a big showdown mm. between the protagonist you know sean and jimmy and these hitmen who are coming after them and like for me, I'm thinking to myself, like, so like that's just not what happens so often. It's not these big gunfights in the street. It's not these like high octane action sequences. It's it's deception, it's uh catching someone off guard, you know, it's these this is how people get killed. <laughs> and, yeah, because because the whole point of it is that it is an illegal immoral activity and people want to keep it on a down low, right? They're not gonna have it. It's not gonna be a heat shootout like a Malcolm Michael Mann thing, right? Yeah. And I love heat. I love yeah, heat. And and you know what? And I really love the town too. And but if you watch the town as compared to like the friends of Eddie Coyle, like the friends of Eddie Coyle is kind of like the more like real version of the town. And then the town clearly takes some inspiration from that film, but adds like the Hollywood blockbuster flair to it, yeah. um, which, you know, maybe one day I will get to make a film like that. But right now the indie uh, nature of the film kind of played towards the realism of everything. Yeah. But I appreciate the realism though. And I think that's something that really, spoke to me and watching the movie because sometimes, you know, you hear the words Boston crime movie and you're like, well, you know, I've seen that because uh, it, it's been done so many times. But for this yep. film, what after, for me really stuck out to me was not only uh, the drama, but it's a movie about character. It's a movie about people. Um, and yep. even though these people are criminals, like as I said at the start of my interview, there's universal themes there in regards to friendship and loyalty that I think can be attached to anyone living in any place. And I think that's a really important distinction. Yeah. And that's what's been connecting with people, I think. And, you know, there was other crime films. Actually, there's an Australian crime film, um, David Michaud's uh, Animal, Animal Kingdom. Kingdom. Yeah. Huge inspiration to me uh, for this film. Um, you know, like the tone that he captures in that film um, and and the character dynamics with people like Ben Mendelsohn, who I think is just terrifying in that film. Mm. Um you know, things like that really inspired me. And um, yeah, no, I think everything you're saying is right. So for everyone out there listening, How to Rob, available now on digital and video on demand, I really recommend people check this movie out because I've, I've, I've been saying, singing its praises throughout this and even and for good reason. Um, Boston set crime drama, great performances, great characters. And uh, Peter Horgan, I thank you so very much for your time. You did a great job here, man. A feature film debut and... Um, I can't wait to see where you get up to next. And as soon as you get something up and rolling, let me know. I'll have to check it out and I'll have to talk to you again. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you, man. Thank you for all this. I really appreciate all the kind words and you taking the time to talk to me about this.